This is the Political Show and Tell, a podcast revealing the personalities of people in political thinking. I'm your host, Tanya Lesenska. Aiki Salinas is a social activist currently based in Israel. The first time I met Aiki was five years ago in Israel during our gap year program by Ashomer Zair. At that point in time, Aiki was coming from Mexico where he had spent the last couple of years after moving there from the States. Since we recorded the interview, Aiki became an elected member of the American Democrats Abroad Israel and is working on getting Americans living in Israel and Palestine to become active. The episode was also recorded before the recent escalation of tensions between Israel and Palestine and before the latest Israeli elections. I was born in the United States to Mexican parents and I also lived in Mexico when I was like from the age of 14 until almost basically 20. I think if I'd have to define who I am, I'm a Zionist Jew and that's that was one of the biggest questions I had. And it led me to, at the age of 20, deciding to come to Israel and to make Aliyah, because that's where I saw myself in the future. And it's also a place where I felt like I could, I could bring about the most change. I made Aliyah. I started studying for one year in the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. It was a very interesting time. I personally hate Jerusalem. I feel like it's very like full of conflict, not only between like the Palestinians and the Jews, but also between the secular Jews and the Orthodox Jews. There are conflicts between Ethiopians or black Jews and white Jews. So there's a lot of conflict in Jerusalem. And after one year, I decided that I wanted a, a city where there's a little bit more of coexistence. And I decided to move to Haifa. Living in Israel, I immediately got in contact with the political party Meretz. It's the most left-wing Zionist party here in Israel. And I had the, the luck, I'd say, to have made Aliyah right at the right time because I had just like basically grown enough roots into Israel, into the party, to be selected as the political campaign manager of Meretz in the North. And that originally happened already two years ago now. And Politics doesn't stop happening, and we've, we're having our fourth elections in a month and a half and 50 days. But the thing is that you didn't just all of a sudden move to Israel and became interested in politics, right? Because where we met is actually a socialist Jewish Zionist movement called the Shomer Tzair. And I don't know when you joined, but I joined when I was 13, so... By the time we met, that was a very big portion in my life. And I would say it was very defining in the sense that what we learn is the value of uh, community and the value of caring for one another and the value of being active and sort of doing the things that other people don't want to do but need to get done. So can you tell me, did this have an impact on what you started doing for your job? Well, of course it did. Truth be told, I think that probably joining Ashomer Atzair, the youth movement, is one of the like most pivotal experiences in my life. And before, I kind of had like a vague idea of what I wanted to do, but only once I joined the the movement did it really like give me that direction. Um, ironically, my dad 
was also active in in a sister movement to Hashem Aratzair in Mexico. He ended up coming to Israel and living in the kibbutz of Hashem Aratzair, and he was also active in Meretz and other things. So at any given point, because I know this is what happened to me, is like, did you ever kind of think that maybe all of this ideology that you discussed also in your university is it's not the right way to go? Um... I don't think that I'm a, a fanatic of socialism. In the end of the day, I think that I support any system in which everyone has equal opportunity to grow and to survive and to not be living in poverty. I don't necessarily think that it needs to be through socialism. I just believe that socialism is the one of the few systems that would really ensure that for all. I like read Adam Smith and I read other people like I even wrote a lot about Hayek and others and I think that they themselves have good ideas like Adam Smith if I'm not mistaken was the first like philosopher to propose educating children and not having them like work on the farm I just think that nowadays and even before it just clearly wasn't compatible with what the like with the nice ideas that we all have and you know, if there was ever a time that it, like we could prove it wrong, I think is now, considering that during the pandemic, when most people's lives have become worse, the richest in the world have seen their riches grow by, what was it, a trillion dollars? You keep mentioning that Zionism is very important to you. Um, and I keep thinking about the fact that, you know, when we're talking about Zionism, and I mean by this us progressive Jews, usually there's a disclaimer that goes with it. What is your disclaimer about Zionism? Um, look, Zionism is a difficult thing to define. As history has shown us, there are a thousand different ways that people define Zionism, and there are like six or seven different main directions that people took Zionism in. I don't know if I would even say that I have a disclaimer. I think that like people, if they want to understand what my Zionism is, they would need to speak to me about it. Because like I understand that a lot of people see Zionism as, um, as, as racism. What I see in my Zionism is just, I, I feel that it is important to me and to like the, the, the Jewish nation that Israel exists. I believe that Israel has a uh, moral obligation to uphold values that Judaism supports and that Judaism talks about a lot, especially like justice, social justice and equality. We also spoke about the upcoming elections in Israel, which are a part of a longer string of snap elections over the last few years. For the last few elections, Aiki has been a campaign manager for Meretz, which is a left-wing party in Israel. So I wanted to know if he was working with them this year as well. Rather than working with the party, I'm just committed to the Israeli left. So I started working in my USAID position. I don't have much time to give to the party, but uh, they know that I'm committed and they know that I'm going to be there because I think it's one of the most important things we can do. And sadly enough, like I keep telling myself, it's the last time, you know, a few more weeks of, uh, of giving it my all and then I'll be able to rest and it just never seems to be it and also it doesn't really look like the end is anywhere in sight. Seems like what's going to end up happening is that within a year we're going to have another round of elections. 
you've been doing this for a while. What's your favorite part about being a campaign manager? So I really enjoyed having contact with um, with like the big names of Meredith and being able to kind of pick their brains and like understand how uh, how politics works on the individual level. Like I've had the pleasure of having personal conversations with people like Nitsan Orovitz and Ilan Gilon and Tamar Zandberg, all um all like members of the party that within the past few years were leading like depending on which round of election, they were either the leaders or at least the number two or number three of the party. Um that's something that I really enjoyed. And taking off from picking their brains sort of a thing. Uh, I wanted to ask you about this concept about living for politics and living off politics. Is this something you've been able to observe working closely with politicians? Yeah, I think so. So when we're talking about living for and living off politics, what we're saying is like living for is is people who like strive to make changes and living off are like people who just take advantage and get paid right so um i think that uh, the main reason why i'm so attracted to merits is because we're talking about people who live for politics and um who they're like committed to making a change and they're of the few compassionate and like committed uh, members of the Knesset who actually do that Aiki doesn't campaign only in places where the party is favored. Part of campaigning is also talking to people who don't necessarily see an eye to eye with you. I asked him to tell me about those times. You know, sadly enough, the left wing in Israel has been through about 20 years of uh, delegitimization with like constant attacks from the right. Not to mention um, the the whole problem that we had like with the assassination of uh, Itzhak Rabin which um, was probably the worst situation that the left had been in. But in general, being left-wing in Israel isn't very acceptable today. I have two big examples of things that weren't very nice situations that I was put in. In the first round of elections, when I was uh, campaigning, we had to go to the city, Naria. It's about 40 minutes north of Haifa, almost like one of the more northern cities in Israel. It's a city that's uh, fairly right-wing. And we went to this school and basically the idea was to go talk to like the 18 year olds who were going to vote for the first time and tell them about the parties. So we set up like Meredith's booth. We put it, we put up flags and whatever. We made it look nice. And there were a lot of children who they went up to us and they started berating us about all the problems, how we're left wing, how, uh, you know, like, it's very common for left-wing people in Israel to be called traitors. So we were, like, they were fighting with us, asking us how we're betraying Israel and so on. Traitors in what sense do you mean? Traitors um, that, that were betraying Israel. I don't understand exactly what they think. I don't get how voting for someone and participating in, in democracy when you live in a democratic country could be considered betraying the country. But, um, you know... I think that nowadays people consider left-wing Israelis is more pro-Palestinian than pro-Israeli when that's completely not the case. Like, of course, we're pro-Palestinian, but uh, at the end of the day, having peace in Israel would, uh, would be beneficial to both sides, like having peace between Israel and Palestine. And what happened then uh, with the students? So it got to the point, first of all, 
it was sad to see that the teachers had absolutely no control of the students. Like there were teachers in, next to us and they were just shocked. Like they had no control over these, uh, over these 18 year olds. Um, and it got to the point that they, I don't know who, someone called the police and the police, like we, we were pushed into a separate room to be like separated by them. And then the police came and they accompanied us to our cars. Um, Another moment, which I think was even worse than this time, it was in Haifa on, um, on Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the Jewish calendar. And the day before, they have this event um, called the Selichot, where it's just like preparation for Yom Kippur. So hi, this, the municipality of Haifa, they, uh, they paid for this Israeli singer, Omar Adam, to go and play in, in like this uh, concert hall. Now, this was clearly spent, like this clearly was using taxpayer money. And when we discovered that they were separating between men and women inside the, the concert hall, like you couldn't go with your family and save them. Even if you were, like, if you weren't Orthodox, we went with um, like the representative of Meretz in the Haifa City Council. He's actually a rabbi called Dubi Chayun. He's famous because he actually got a, uh, a cease and desist order because he was marrying people in a non-Orthodox way, which is illegal in Israel currently. So we went with him and we weren't being rowdy. We were just like making our silent protest respectful, far enough away from the concert hall that they wouldn't even have been able to hear us. But this event attracted a lot of uh, the more like extreme right-wing supporters and there were probably 10 of us against a hundred angry right-wing supporters getting up in our faces and trying to take the mi microphone. A few of them were even spitting on us. So they, like they, we called the police and there were probably about 20 policemen like creating a barrier between us and them. And this was uh, even before the first round of elections. So it was like two and a half years ago by now. So it sounds like things are pretty tense in Israel. And, you know, I've known that the left has been in trouble for the last couple of decades, let's say, but I never realized that it, it was perceived as something bad that you were left. And so why is it seen as bad in Israel besides besides being more pro-Palestinian? What's, um, what's the issue? Because it sounds like there's also an issue about religiousness. So it's funny because uh, like the history of Israel was, is a history like led by socialists and left-wing people. Like the, like the Labour Party was in power for the first 40 years. And like the, all of the famous Israeli like Zionist heroes of the past, like Ben-Gurion or Moshe Dayan, they're all left-wing Jews, left-wing Israelis. Um, I think the main reason why right-wing Israelis um, like see the left-wing in such a bad light is just a campaign that the right did about nationalism and they kind of tied right-wing ideology to nationalism. So basically, if you're not right-wing, then you're not a nationalist. And if you're not a nationalist, then like what, what are you working towards if it's not supporting the nation that you live in? And um, sadly enough, like I, the, the right nowadays, there's such a big 
like gap between us that there's barely any room for for conversation so there's no way to kind of teach them that like regardless of us being pro-palestinian or us having our our specific views we are uh we're still supportive of israel and we're still here otherwise i would have left like you know if that's really the if that's really the case then it's easier to go to another country and be pro-palestinian there preparing for uh our interview i tried to read a bit about israeli politics and one of the opinions i came upon is that the israeli left can only get itself out of the rut if all left parties sort of came into one alliance um is this is this something you've thought about what is your take how can the left kind of get itself out of this um position it's in the the question is what we define as left here in israel like especially considering that in the past round of elections like in the past uh, the results showed us exactly who can like who at least in my opinion is considered left and not merits ran together with the labor party which is at its worst moment in its history and another party called gesher which is just this other like not very important party both of those parties ended up breaking its a lot their alliances with merets and joining bibi's coalition and thusly giving him the power um who else do we have on the left benny gantz he also after promising time and time again that he wasn't going to sit with bibi ended up sitting with bibi Yair Lapid in 2013 was in the Knesset with Bibi. Um I don't know if I would consider any of those parties left. I think that they're just an anti-Bibi coalition, but they're not really looking towards creating peace with the Palestinians. They're not really touching any of like the internal civil unrest topics that we have here. Um and on the other side, a party that I haven't mentioned too much in this interview, the uh the joint list They are a coalition of about four different Arab parties that have very different views on uh like on their ideologies. I think that the biggest example that proves what that party is is um about a month ago in Israel they had uh, like the Meretz actually supported this law that was uh, banning gay conversion therapy. Now it passed the first uh the first call there's there's still a process it currently hasn't become a law yet but of the 13 or more members of the joint list that are currently like par- members of parliament only three of them supported the uh ban on gay conversion therapy those three are um Aida Tomer Thomas Suleiman Omer Ofer Kasif and um the third one escapes me currently but they're members of like one of the one of the better parties of the joint list i think that there's no there's not much left to unite anymore maybe 20 years ago like it would have been a better situation but nowadays i think that just the left let things get out of hand get out of hand and it spirals to the point where there's really not much that like to be done and i don't i i can't really see like a israel one big coalition of the israeli left making such a big change regarding anyways throughout our conversation the israeli palestinian conflict kept coming up i myself got more interested in it lately and i know that some people feel more comfortable calling it a conflict while some prefer to call it an occupation 
And this isn't an easy conversation to have within Jewish communities. I wanted to know what Ike's thoughts are as he's been working on it since he moved to Israel. Yeah, of course. I think that um, it's important to differentiate between the two. Like, the most Israelis will even admit that like there is an Israeli occupation of those territories. Like Israel doesn't recognize um, like the West Bank or Judea and Samaria, however you want to call it, as like part of Israel, even though it kind of acts as like it does because it goes around building settlements whenever, however it wants. But like legally, they don't consider it part of Israeli territory. Now, the conflict is like, I would say separate because even if like we were to, even if a, a Palestinian state were, were to be created, I believe that the conflict would probably continue unless we like were to create a Palestinian state with a, you know, together with the Palestinians and to um, and, like to solve the conflict before it, before this happens. Now, um, I think that uh, specifically, specifically with Jewish communities, it's kind of a, a hard paradigm because as Jews, we feel connected to Israel. Like after all, it is the Jewish state, the only one we have, and there's a there's a deep connection to it. It means that it's hard to find space where you believe you can criticize it without being anti-Israel. Now, I actually argue the opposite. I think that criticizing Israel is the most pro-Israel thing you can do because I guess, sadly enough, Israel doesn't realize that these problems are not going to disappear. And unless like, they get solved, then it will weaken Israel's position in the future. I think that the biggest example you can see is American Jews. American Jews who are like below the age of 35 nowadays are becoming less and less enamored by Israel. They're like constantly reading about all of the acts that Israel commits. They like see this uh, disparity between like, the Israeli army and Palestinian citizens who they need to face off against each other sometimes. And it's, it's a horrible thing to see. And I think that the only, like, the only thing that we can do as Jews living in the diaspora is to push Israel towards the correct direction, which is like, creating peace. So from all the aspects of this that you could start at working with, um, you know, you could be working with demolitions of uh, buildings in Area C, which is the area in the West Bank, which is completely under the rule of Israel. And, you know, you could also be working about uh, what is the army doing on Palestinian territory besides uh, the demolitions. You chose to go in a different direction, which is Israeli-Palestinian coexistence. Can you tell me about your work there? Of course, yeah. So um, I'm currently working in an organization called MEET, Middle Eastern Entrepreneurs of Tomorrow. They work in uh, the, the, the area of the conflict of bridging the gaps between Palestinians and Jews. What they do is they teach CS, computer science, and entrepreneurship to Jewish and Palestinian high schoolers together so, not, so that not only do these uh, high schoolers learn about these important tools, especially in the 21st century, but also so that they learn together and that they learn about, they um, acquire a deeper understanding of the other side. Now, I think that this is the most important aspect of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I think that um, it's very disappointing that 
almost all of them don't speak any Arabic whatsoever, even though 20% of the, like, of the citizens of Israel are, like, are Arab speakers and they are Arabs. And, like, that's not to mention the other Palestinians that live in, in Gaza or in the West Bank. In addition to that, I think that this, this is the best way to solve the conflict. Because not only will it solve the conflict, but it will also create, like, it will be beneficial for both sides to actually know who they're speaking to when they speak about the other side. When they speak, like, when Palestinians speak about Israelis or when Israelis speak about Palestinians. Because clearly, like... Not every Israeli wants to kill Palestinians, nor vice versa. And I think that this is the most effective way to create long-lasting change. Right. I, I completely agree with you, because what I've noticed is that people who are on opposing views, you know, once they get to know each other for the person behind the view, uh, then things um, change drastically uh, in terms of uh, how they treat each other. Another thing I wanted to ask you about is because uh, you're originally from the U.S. and I know that you're thinking about going back and I know that the the U.S. is such a big part of Israeli politics and, and actually vice versa. What is your take on what the U.S. can do? Well, the new administration, uh, let's put it like this, can do about um, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Look, the United States plays a huge role in the conflict, especially, you know, the Trump administration enabled Israel to do a lot of things that probably regressed the, pro the, uh, the progress that we had made in the past few decades. Like, for example, moving the embassy and allowing Israel to build settlements without, uh, like, or to expand settlements more so, without uh, much, like, kickback to it. In addition to that, We can't, it's important to note that Israel provides billions of dollars of like financial assistance to Israel through like military equipment every year. It's also like, it's also very relevant to the conflict because like if the United States were to tell Israel, for example, like we won't give you any more, any more guns unless you start making progress, then Israel would be forced to do so. So I do see myself moving to the U.S., Um, and I would, I would like to continue working in, in, uh, in politics there, maybe with the Democratic Party or maybe who knows. But um, I've understood that Israelis here are very stubborn and it seems like possibly another route for uh, fomenting peace and for like, progressing in this conflict would be through an external like, United States uh, like, intervention. Do you think this is something the new administration is going to put forward or does it feel more like they're going to keep the status quo or is it too early to say? Uh, it's, a, it's a very good question. I'm not sure. I, I wish I had more answers on it. I suppose that they'll definitely be doing more than the Trump administration did. And like I believe that Biden will probably continue in the path that, uh, that Obama had. Um, and I hope that he will... He'll have learned from like some of the mistakes that Obama committed and he'll like improve on them. So we're starting to run out of time. And if I had to pick one last question to ask you, it will be about the community of recent immigrants to Israel that you're doing for Ashomera Tzair. Can you tell me more about your idea and what you're hoping this would be? So basically the idea behind this community is that a lot of 
new immigrants come here and they like they're basically here by themselves not everyone who moves to israel has family here more so than that there's also a very like specific and distinct identification that people have identity is a better word when you make aliyah i a lot of the time see myself more as someone who like as a as a new immigrant to israel than as an israeli and it's something that i would like to to keep and i would like to like foster and have it grow into something so the idea that i had here is basically everyone that was part of this movement that you and i have already mentioned we have a very similar ideology and most of us came to israel because and at least in part because of the movement there's no reason why we shouldn't be getting together and continuing to talk about the things that we would speak about in the movement like to continue to tap to uh, challenge ourselves and to advance and to have this ideological aspect to our lives that I feel like a lot of the times once you become an adult like you kind of uh, you kind of miss that part because just other things in life become more essential like working and and I don't know eventually getting a family which I suppose is I'm still a while away from right I, I think what you're saying sounds very good. Do you already have an idea of what your activities might look like? Yeah, we have uh, like we have a lot of plans, but um, I think that the easiest and the, the most essential thing aspect that uh, this community could provide is a humanistic uh, like way of celebrating the Israeli the uh, the Jewish holidays, like rather than just do what the rabbis what the rabbis have told us and the tradition we try to celebrate holidays together by reading the same like the same uh, like texts in the bible or in the uh in, like the other scriptures of judaism and basically creating our own ideas. don't forget to check out our other episodes on spotify google or apple podcasts at the political show and tell You can also find transcripts of the episodes on our Facebook page.